It's, it's really good to see you guys. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue moving ahead in this series. Uh, it's called The Word. And uh, what we're doing is we're just spending time understanding why God's Word is so important to us as Christians. It is God's revelation of himself to each and every one of us. And I believe with all my heart <clears throat> that we have to be intentional about being in God's Word. And so that's why we're spending the first five weeks of this year, of 2021, uh, diving into this series called The Word. Um, it, it is so important to feed us each and every day as we walk with God. A lot of people, unfortunately, the only time they open the Bible is on a Sunday morning. Not everybody, but a lot. They open it on a Sunday morning, they follow along with the passage that's being read, and then some people don't open it again uh, until the next Sunday. We need to be in it each and every day. I just I believe that with all my heart. I live that each and every day. And so I just want to encourage you to be filled with God's Word. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, filling ourselves with God's Word. Back in June of 1940, some of you remember June of 1940, probably not a lot of you, but maybe. Um, anyway, Hitler's armies, they had uh, set themselves up to completely destroy the British army. They had them cornered on the beaches at Dunkirk. I'm sure through history you've heard of Dunkirk. And, and the, the British army was cornered. They were pinned down there. Uh, Hitler's armies were all around them. They were poised to just strike and obliterate them. And, and all the British people were back home, and they were just anxiously awaiting to hear what was about to happen, what was going on. Uh, and eventually there was a three-word message that was sent to the British people, and it was this, but if not. That was the three-word message. Anybody in this room, you don't have to announce it, but just be honest with me, anybody know what that is referring to, but if not? Got a one or two maybe who knows what that's referring to? That's a passage found in the book of Daniel. The British public instantly recognizes this message as a reference of the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they state before King Nebuchadnezzar. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Now, this isn't what we're going to study only today, but turn there. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. And the hymn there is King Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Remember, they wouldn't bow down and worship the statue, so Nebuchadnezzar was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. He said, we don't need to before you, uh, defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but if not, but if not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This message, it galvanized the British people. Thousands of folks crossed the English Channel to go and rescue the British army and bring them back home. Now, compare that message you know, three words from an obscure passage found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, the people knew what it meant. Compare that to what happened in 2001, January 2001. President George W. Bush delivered his inaugural address, and Dick Meyer of CBS News confessed. He said, there were a few phrases in the speech that I just didn't get. 
And some of you remember this. One was this. One was when we see that wounded traveler on the road to Jericho, we will not pass to the other side. Anybody know what that's in reference to? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. Raise your hand if you know what that's in reference to. Don't sit there like bump on a log. All right? Yeah, that's in reference to Luke chapter 10. That's the Good Samaritan passage. My included, he said, I hope there's not a quiz on this. Well, there will be in one day. What a difference six decades make. For centuries, biblical references were understood virtually by, by everyone, as Dunkirk demonstrated. You know, people were so filled with the scriptures that they immediately recognized a reference to some lesser-known passage found in the Old Testament. But today, that memory's been erased. And unfortunately, it's just, I'm afraid it's true among members of the church, pastors, chaplains, as is evident by praying to multiple deities, closing with a man or a woman. I mean, those things are evident. We're no longer filled with the scriptures, but we're more concerned about culture instead of understanding the word of God. Everyone wants their ears tickled. And it seems so many churches are trying to tickle ears that they ignore the word of God and encouraging people to be filled with that. Not only do many believers really not know the word of God, but many believers no longer memorize the word of God. And just because someone has the title pastor, chaplain, or Christian, doesn't mean they understand or practice the word of God. The followers of some pagan religions, folks, these are pagan religions, they're they are required to saturate their minds with sacred writings. Do you know that you can't teach in a Muslim mosque until you first memorize the entire Quran? What if we did that? What if we say, hey, you can't teach in the church until you memorize the entire Bible? I'm going to go sit down. <laughs> but Jack Kahutschuk, he tells of a, a man his professor met in the Holy Lands who claimed to have memorized the entire Old Testament in the Hebrew language. So the professor, he met up with this fella, and he's talking to him, and, uh, and, and the professor said, uh, you know, I'd like to hear you do this, to recite the Old Testament. And so they, they set a time and a date, and they got together a few days later. And so the man just said, okay, professor, where do you want me to start? I mean, he doesn't just start where he wants to. He asked the professor, where do you want me to start? I'm giving it all to you. And the professor says, hey, you know what? The professor was a scholar in the Psalms. He said, why don't you start with Psalm 1-1? So the guy, he sat there, and the professor followed along with his Hebrew Bible, and that man recited word for word, starting in Psalm 1, verse 1, and recited for two hours without a mistake. That stunned the professor. He was like, Oh my goodness, you, you just recited that for two hours and you didn't make a mistake. That stunned the professor, that stunned me when I read about it. But what stunned the professor more and what really gets me is that the man who recited that for two hours was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He looked at the Bible as just a book. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians look at it as just a book. 
This is God's revelation to himself. We should fill ourselves with God's word. Michael Bellister uh, once gave a Bible to a very humble uh, villager in eastern Poland. And he came back a few years later, and he learned that 200 people had become believers through using that Bible. Isn't that amazing? One Bible spread through that village. 200 people became believers. And so when the group all gathered together uh, to hear Michael preach, he suggested that before he spoke, he would like each person to quote some verses of Scripture. Okay? And he said, why, you know, why, don't, why, don't, why don't we do that right now? Would you want to quote some verses of Scripture? Would you like to do that before I continue this morning? I, I'm just I'm curious. How many folks could just stand up and recite verses of Scripture? And so Bellister said that. He said, why don't we just quote some verses of Scripture before I get started? One man rose and said, perhaps, brother, we, we didn't hear you quite right. We misunderstood you. Did, did you mean verses or did you mean chapters? Billister was astonished. Are you saying people here can memorize, they, they can recite complete chapters of the Bible? And that was precisely the case. In fact, 13 of them, 13 of those 200 people knew half of Genesis and the books of Matthew and Luke. Another had committed all the Psalms to memory. It seems to me that believers of previous times and in other countries know something that we sometimes tend to forget, we tend to neglect, and that is we must be filled with God's Word. It's important. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. We're just going to read one verse today. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a statement by Jesus after he's been baptized and he's uh, in the wilderness fasting, praying for his uh, ministry, praying for what God would like him to do, uh, making sure that he's on the right page. And so he's withdrawn and Jesus uh, is tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him. And he says, hey, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting. Won't you tell these stones to become bread? And Jesus looked at Satan. He said this, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus and Satan offer dramatically different teachings. Satan says, let's live on bread. Let's live on all the material things of this world. That's what bread represents in this passage. It represents our jobs. It represents our clothes, our houses, our cars. It represents all those things that we desire. Bread was one of the most basic uh, foods that you could find in any country. It's easy to make. It's easy to keep. Uh, most people can digest it, and it, it's fine. It was before we had all the whatever that is, the... I don't remember what it's called, but you know, the disease that everybody has now where you can't eat bread. But uh, um, it was one of those fundamental things, very common. And, and Satan said, hey, tell those stones to become bread. And Jesus said, listen, Satan, man doesn't live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Folks, we have to remember that 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 17, 18, all talks about how the Bible, all Scripture, is what? It's God-breathed. 
That means it comes out of the very mouth of God. That's exactly what Christ was referring to. He was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the Torah. He was talking about the prophets. He was talking about the Psalms. He was talking about all that that's involved in the Old Testament. And even the stuff that's in the New Testament today, it's all God breathed. We are to live on this more than this. But I think sometimes this edges this out. And we spend more time with this than that. We spend more time with the bread than we do the word. And it shows in a lot of our our churches. So Jesus said that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's look at what the word of God uh, has to say to us this morning. Uh, What is the word that comes out of God's mouth this morning? Let's just take a little bit of time and look at that this morning. So first, the word, the first word comes out of God's mouth is the word of creation. I I just kind of want to journey through this. All, All of life that we can see, all of life that we cannot see came to be because of a word from God's mouth. Everything we see, everything we can't see, all came because of a word from God's mouth. Look at Genesis 1-3. What's it say there? And God said, and let there be light, and there was light. Light began. God spoke it, it came about. That's the way it happened. Or what about Psalm 33-6? You jump over to the Psalms, and it says this, by the word of the Lord, by the, the mouth of the Lord, the word spoken out of his mouth, the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry host, listen to this description, the starry host By the breath of his mouth, stars. Amazing. One of my favorite uh, passages, and it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most powerful and beautiful passages on this found in the Bible is found over in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 15 through 16. New Testament passage. The Apostle Paul combines all kinds of things together when he talks about this, how everything is made through Christ. But he says this, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, we've talked about firstborn, not meaning that he was born necessarily, but he is first in power, first in rank. That's what that's talking about. So he's firstborn over all creation. For in him, verse 16, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus stands in front of Satan and says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And everything was created through him and for him. He has the authority. He has the power to make statements like that. And because of that, you and I can believe that. Because of that, you and I can have faith in the word of God. This is the place I believe that we must begin thinking about God's word. Why? Because it tells us that he created everything, owns everything, and is the only one who can tell us how everything is to work. When automobiles first came out, uh, there was a man uh, driving a, a, one of the first Ford cars ever created. Anybody remember the first Ford cars? Y'all are a lot younger. I know you don't. But anyway, when, when the first Ford cars came out, uh, one of them, it broke down on this guy who was driving. He was driving his car, and the car broke down. 
probably outside a store or something. And the guy gets out, and, and he's just standing there, and he's just looking at this car with his hands on his hips, and he's like, he doesn't know what to do, and, and just looks, you know, perplexed. What do you do with this thing? It's one of the newest things out. Well, another car pulls up, and this really fine-dressed gentleman gets out, and he walks up, and he's like, can I help you? And the guy standing there with his hands on his hips like, I don't know if you can help me or not. This car is broke down, this newfangled machine. Nobody knows much about them. I don't know anything about them. I doubt you can do anything, but hey, give her a shot. It's not going to hurt anything. So the really well-dressed man, he raises the hood. He gets down. He tinkers for a few minutes, stands back. He turns the crank. The car comes to life, sputters away. The guy looked at him and said, what you do? How'd you know what to do? The guy dusted off his hands. The well-dressed man said, well, I'm Henry Ford, and I invented that car. Friends, listen, God invented you and me. He created each and every one of us. He made you. He made me. He made the world we live in. Nothing's a surprise to him. He knows how it works and what to do when it's broken. He's spoken on the subject in a manual called the Bible. To read the Bible is to listen to the voice of God. You are created in the image of God. He has spoken on the subject. If the creator has spoken to you, if the inventor is telling you how to live your life, I would suggest that we read his manual that we fill ourselves with his manual. He's the creator, we're the created. He starts with creation. Created everything. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. He's spoken to us. Be filled with his word. The next word, uh, the, uh, next the word of God that comes from his mouth is the word of affection. It's the word of affection. Uh, the, the Bible, God's word. It's a love letter to human beings. I, I want to encourage you, just somewhere, if, if you're comfortable doing it, uh, just somewhere in the front of your Bible, just write, God's love letter to me. Just write that somewhere, okay? And, and, and not to be funny or, or try and be tricky or anything, but, but just remember, this is, when I open this, this is God's love letter to me. Just as a reminder Every time you open it, you're not opening it as an academic book. You're not opening it as a bailout card. You're opening it up because it's God's love letter to you. And that's the way I think we need to really start thinking about God's word. It's his love letter to human beings. It isn't written to anyone else. You know that? Animals can't read it. Angels don't need it. It's written to you. It's written to me. Even the stories of horror and war and death, they're all a part of his love letter. And I think if we would read it in that regard, we'd understand why there's all kinds of things that go on. They serve as warnings. Every parent who loves their child warns the child of dangers. Right? Sometimes the parent will use stories of horrible things to warn their child, to protect their child. When I was a kid growing up in Kentucky, there was a little girl who lived just a couple of houses down from my grandparents. 
I used to play with her brother all the time. She was a couple years younger than I was. But one day she was running through her backyard, and for the life of me, I don't know why, but she was running with a steak knife. And she tripped. And the steak knife penetrated her eye. It didn't kill her, but her eye died. She was probably, um, she was probably four, I'm going to guess. I was probably first grade. And her eye died. And my mama used that story all the time to remind me not to run with knives because there was nothing coming between me and my old hickory pocket knife. Don't run with your knife. Don't run with screwdrivers. Don't run with sticks. I mean, she would use that. She wasn't being mean and cruel, reminding me of that story. She was protecting me. This is something you can relate to, Donnie. I want you to remember this. Don't run with a screwdriver. That's what mamas do. We protect our kids. In this book, God declares his love and describes his love for us in such a fascinating way. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor, and this is the way he described the word of God. He said, it is God's love letter to human beings telling them what he, God, has done throughout human history to restore sinful man back into himself. This is what God reveals to us, his love and his affection for his created. And he wants us to know that. And in this, he declares his love and he describes his love. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. John 3.16, you know that one, right? For God so loved the world. Listen, for God so loved you. Put your name in that place where it says world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a powerful statement found in the book of John. I absolutely love it. The way God reveals himself to us and shares his love with us. Another way the word of God comes through the mouth of Jesus is this. The word of salvation and transformation. Now, I put these two together because God's word can be a word of transformation and it can be a word of conversion, salvation. Listen to what John 6, 68 says. John said, Simon Peter answered him, Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. His closest disciples knew that Jesus had the words of eternal life. Indeed, his words are the words of life. Jesus provided for our salvation with his life at Calvary. I mean, he died on the cross for us. He rose for our justification. He intercedes for all who believe. But it is his word that grants life. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to be filled with the word of God. We're saved by faith through grace. Without the word of God, you could not believe because you would not have heard. That's what Romans 10, 17 is talking about. 
The word of God is a word of transformation. Paul reminds us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. I wanna say that again. If you're a Christ follower, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. What do I mean by that? Well, we gotta stop fighting each other. We'll get to Ephesians 6 later, but our enemy is not flesh and blood. And right now in our churches, in our country, in our culture, we're fighting each other over stuff that's not eternal. I don't care what side you are. I don't care if you're red, blue, or purple. It don't matter. Kind of acting ridiculous. Just a Kentucky boy's opinion. But our minds, Paul goes on, he says, don't conform any longer to pattern in this world. Be transformed. Be different by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are renewed by replacing the teachings and the lies of the world with the truth of God's word. Fill yourself with God's word. Be filled with God's word. The word of God actually changes us. Do you know that? If we're filled with God's word, we're involved and engaged in God's word, it actually changes us. Listen to 1 Peter 1.23. I'm not making it up. Here it is. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring what? Anybody turn it? Word of God. By the living and enduring word of God. Those who are saved are saved through the word of God. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but the word of God reveals that to us. People who share it with us, it's because they've been exposed to the word of God. We have to be filled with the word of God. James 1.18 says it this way, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. What is that word of truth? That word of truth is the word of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all the, the created, of all he created. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. Don't be ashamed of the Gospels. Don't be ashamed of the life of Christ. Jesus himself is the Word. John opens up his own book with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You can't, they're not void of each other. You can't separate them. An ad by the King James Online version just a couple of weeks ago uh, read this. It said, read the Bible, free gift inside. The free gift is eternal life, which leads to a transformed life. Another way the word of God comes through the mouth of Jesus is this. It's a word of protection. Some of us right now, we feel like we need protection. And I'll be honest with you, we do. Every day we need protection. Psalm 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Are you taking refuge in God? Are you taking refuge in God's word? One of my favorite passages of scripture is found in the book of Ephesians. I told you we'd get there. It's in chapter six, beginning in verse 10. As a matter of fact, I wanna invite you, take some time right now, turn to Ephesians 6, 10 
through 17. Turn there in your Bibles. If you would. You don't have to, of course. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. I'm just inviting you to. But Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Make sure that your strength comes from the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Don't try and find strength in your own. Our strength comes from the Lord. When we are weak, then he is strong, right? So finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Folks, the devil is nonstop scheming. He is nonstop scheming. His whole desire is to destroy you and destroy me. So, put on that full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle... Well, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our enemy. That's where all our, that's where our focus needs to be, is on our enemy, not one another. Verse 13 says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, and look at this, underline this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Be filled with that. What I'd like to draw your attention to is that last, very last thing this morning. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul describes, uh, what he describes here is an article of defense. Armor is for defending. The belt uh, holds the armor in place. The breastplate protects all the internal organs in the torso. The, the shoes of the gospel, they protect your feet and they give you traction. You can hide your entire body under the shield. The helmet protects your head. But Paul ends with a weapon, one weapon. It's the only weapon we need. And it's a weapon that protects and defends. It's a, it's a weapon on defense and offense, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Swords offensive and defensive. It's used by soldiers. It's used by warriors. In this case, it is a weapon belonging to the Holy Spirit. Swords were used to protect somebody from harm or attack uh, the enemy. So you could fend off the enemy, you could attack the enemy, to overcome the enemy, to kill the enemy. And some of us, we need to slay Satan because he's messing in our lives and we need to drive him out of our life. And the way to do that is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's how we do that. Soldiers used to get rigid training on the proper use of the sword so they could have maximum protection. Listen. When you became a Jesus follower, you didn't enroll in church. You enlisted in God's army. 
And that's the way we need to think about it. Too many of us think we enroll in church. Uh Uh-uh, you enlist in the army of God because you're on a spiritual battleground for the rest of your life with an enemy who's uh, been around a whole lot longer than any of us, a whole lot trickier and slyer. The sword that Paul refers is the Holy Scriptures. And we know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is, is useful. And we talked about that last week. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Since every Christian is on that spiritual battlefield with the satanic forces of evil uh, of this world battling us, we need to know how to handle the word properly. Only then will we be able to effectively defend ourselves and fight against evil. But it will also be an offensive weapon that we can use to demolish the strongholds of error and falsehood that are surrounding us. God refers to his word as a sword in Hebrews 4.12, and we're going to look at that next week. But he says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let me read that again. The word of God judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why we have to take our time. That's why when we talked last week, we talked about meditating, ruminating on the word of God. What's it revealing about the attitude and the thoughts of your heart? That's what it does. Here the word is described as living and active. It's sharp. The Roman sword was commonly made in this manner. And so that's what Paul's drawing their mind to. The fact that it had two edges made it easy to penetrate, made it easy to cut in any direction. The idea that, uh, of piercing or penetrating, the word of God reaches the heart, the human heart, the very center of action, our core, and it lays open the motives and the feelings of those that it touches. And so the purpose of the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, is to make us strong and able to withstand all the evil forces of Satan, our real enemy. The Holy Spirit uses the power of the word to save souls, and he uses it uh, for uh, life-giving measures, for spiritual strength, so that we can be mature soldiers for the Lord, fighting this corrupt battle that we're fighting, this evil that we live in. The more we know and understand the word of God, the more useful we will be in doing the will of God. You ever hear people say, well, I don't know, I'm not sure what God's will is for me. One of the first things I try and tell folks is, what's he saying to you in his word? What's he wanting you to do? I mean, ask him in his word. Because the more useful, the more useful we'll be for him when we seek his will. The believer is not without the most effective weapon ever known to man. We have the most powerful weapon ever. Did you know that? With God's word, we possess a power that's greater than an atom bomb. I hope you believe that. With God's word, we possess a weapon that is greater than the the, the newest cruise missile. With God's word, we, we can be more accurate than the smartest smart bomb ever made. The Bible teaches us that we can defeat Satan and sin in our lives. God's word provides the necessary resources to live victorious in Christ. 
Robert C. Shannon in his work, 1,000 Windows, tells of the Ethiopian emperor uh, uh, Menelik. You ever heard of Menelik II? When he would get sick, uh, he would eat a few pages from the Bible because he believed it would restore his health. In 1913, he got really, really ill. He ate the entire book of 2 Kings, and he died that year. See, it's not eating the Word of God that protects us. It's being filled with the Word of God. Not eating it, it's being filled with it. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, one day God's going to speak to us our destiny. To the believer, he'll say this. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the lost, he'll say, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Which word will you hear? Which, which word will you as an individual hear on that day? Listen, you can hear the voice of peace and joy if you will listen now to the voice of salvation. Because I believe God's calling some of us to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. I believe he's calling you now. He may be speaking to a believer who needs to come to him for forgiveness, though. Maybe you're here this morning and you need strength. And you just need to pray to for, have somebody just pray with you. Maybe you need direction. Maybe you just simply need to rest in his presence. Maybe you're just exhausted mentally, emotionally, even spiritually. He's surely speaking to somebody today, somebody who needs a savior, somebody who needs a healer, somebody who needs a protector, somebody who needs a lover of their soul. Just listen. Is, is he calling your name? Is he speaking to you? What will you do? Will you be filled with bread? Or will you be filled with the word? The choice is yours. Would you stand with me? Please put your mask on because we're going to sing and let me pray. Father, we want to come to you, and first of all, we thank you for your word that reveals truth to our lives, for your word that speaks so clearly into what we need to hear and see and feel and believe in our lives. And so for that, we are grateful, and we thank you.